0: this is matt hurt at obsessive viewer on twitter this is ben sears at ben sears on letterbox and this is obsessiveviewer.com's the obsessive viewer podcast And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. Uh, You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And also you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer. At the minimum rate of $1 per month, you get access to a exclusive, wow, audio recording <laughs> specifically for Patreon supporters. Uh, $5 gets you commentary tracks, and $10 gets you early access to our reviews and, and episodes. So check that out at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. I'm your aforementioned host, Matt Hurt, and with me today is recurring co-host and contributing reviewer for obsessiveviewer.com, Ben Sears. How's it going, Ben? Pretty good. How's nice. it going? Pretty, pretty good. Um, this is a very exciting episode in 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 my opinion because we are going to be talking about a couple of hitchcock movies um that are on the ebert's great movies list which we have been uh uh going through at our at our pace uh, about once a month um on the podcast lately so this is part 4 of that ongoing series where we talk about uh two of Ebert's great movies on his great movies list. Um, so we'll get to that in a moment. But the reason that we're doing this uh, special Hitchcock double feature is because we both attended Hitchcock night on October 14th at, uh, while well, it was at Tibbs drive-in for Heartland film festival. And I kind of wanted to get us kicked off by talking a little bit about Heartland and, and like uh, if there's anything you watched that you want to talk about, and then we can kind of, go from there um sure yeah, yeah. okay um
1: yeah i uh, i didn't end up watching as many as i uh would have liked to but i still uh got to a couple of them nice. um Same here. let's see a uh, couple ones that you guys are or at least one that you guys already talked about 76 days mm-hmm. um yeah i i love that one i thought it was one of the better uh films at the whole um festival mm-hmm. um and I'm glad I was able to see it oh, yeah. um, uh one called uh, freeland um, which oh. the synopsis uh it says uh forced to go legal and outlaw pot farmer fights to preserve her way of life. Um and I I really enjoyed that one. Um it stars uh, Krisha Fairchild who mm-hmm. um I had never seen before but she's in um you remember the movie Waves from last year? Oh yeah. Uh the guy that directed that he mm-hmm. directed her in another movie just called Krisha. Um oh. which I've heard good things about. So. I me too. Hmm. So yeah um she's she's fantastic in it um so let's see i wrote a review of Mm -hmm. the outside story that one was fine it's got uh brian tyree henry from atlanta Mm -hmm. uh from widows all kinds of stuff he was great um the movie was just okay uh you saw this one as well picture character?
0: Yeah, oh uh, yeah.
1: Uh it's it's about uh emojis mm-hmm. and just kind of uh an oral history of them and just uh I, what I thought was really interesting it goes into a couple different stories like all around the world mm-hmm. of these people who are trying to get new emojis made and yeah. just the process that goes into that and I I thought it was kind of fascinating. Um, Mm -hmm. You wouldn't think that like so much time and effort goes into getting some of these emojis made, but the the cases that they these people make for why they should exist was was pretty interesting.
0: Oh, totally! Like that was a that that was a kind of a on the surface a pretty fun lighthearted documentary. Yeah, but the kind of the journey of these people that are, that are pushing to get certain emojis, um, like accepted and everything, uh, had a lot of heart to it. It was really, it was really pretty, uh, pretty good and uplifting. Yeah. Plus, uh, just a lot of neat information about,
1: uh, like the history of emojis. And, yeah. Uh, they, they kind of tried to make the argument of how emojis may or may not replace written language. Right. Uh, you know, that
0: was, that was, right. So, so that was a part of the documentary that I was like, I don't, I don't know. Cause like there were, it's, it's kind of funny because they had basically, um, kind of title card things where they would break yeah. into and show like just emojis and they would be like a sentence in emoji form. And the whole time in the documentary, they're saying like, well, you know, emoji could, Turn out to like change the way we communicate and everything, and that maybe, maybe it'll become its own language or something like that. Or, uh, and they made the case that, like, yeah, you, you know, you can tell complete stories and you can tell complete thoughts in emojis. And like every time that that came up, that it showed just emojis, I like, I like, I, I kind of had to work through it a little bit. Yeah. Like, wait, yeah. okay, this means that, that, <laughs> and like it was lost on me a few times.
1: Yeah. I think that probably just means that we're old.
0: That that's true. Yeah, yeah. we are not lit AF. Um <laughs> and we're not uh TikToking. T- um nope. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. But it was it was a good documentary nonetheless, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um any others? Um Yeah, uh
1: one called uh Sophie Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Jesse Barr. Uh, it says, After her mother's death, 16-year-old Sophie Jones is trying everything she can to feel something again and make it through high school, inspired by true experience of gr- of grief, girlhood, and growing up. Um, and I thought this one was pretty interesting. Um, it had... Uh, the, the lead actress that plays Sophie Jones, her name's, uh, Jessica Barr, I guess. Hmm. Uh, so I, I still don't know for sure, but I believe that's the same person that directed it, huh. which is insane because she's playing a high schooler. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I, I try, I think I tried looking up when, after I watched it to see if I could get some kind of bio information, but mm-hmm. I don't think I could find it. Um, but she's great. Um, the story is, uh, interesting. I, there's a, there were a couple moments where it felt kind of, uh, like it was like playing it safe almost. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also just kind of, I don't know, maybe this is just me as a middle-aged man, right. just kind of icky. Cause it kind of like one of the ways that she goes through this grieving process is to like try and have sex as much as possible. Oh, okay. And she's a high schooler. So, uh, that was kind of weird. Um, just as a old man watching. Um, mm. but, um, yeah, uh, the, the direction was really, uh i I really enjoyed that the cinematography was really good, and like I said, the performance uh was pretty great as
0: well nice okay it's what's it called again
1: sophie Jones
0: Sophie Jones okay, cool um yeah, I talked about some of the stuff I watched in the last episode, so I'll spare you guys that, but overall, it was a really cool film festival, very different from previous years, <laughs> obviously but uh really cool nonetheless yeah so yeah and we're going to talk about a couple uh, one special night of the film festival um here in a bit but first um before we get into that uh looking ahead so i had this thing that i i've been meaning to post on social media about it but like after the election um like like my thought was all right, so now that I don't uh, – that that I'm not stressed out about all of that <laughs> and everything and not picking just stupid arguments on social media like an asshole um, about it, I can focus on awards season and, you know, the movies coming out and, like, cultivating my top ten list and everything. So I'm excited about that. And, uh, yeah, so in that regard – uh, Ben, what are some movies that you haven't caught this year? That's on your radar and movies that are coming out that you're looking forward to. And, uh, what's, what's your current front runner for your top movie of the year? Um,
1: as of right now, my movie of the year, I think is the assistant. Okay. Um, yeah, I, well, it's probably between that and, uh, Uh, First Cow, which, uh, Kelly Reichardt movie, um, uh, yeah, I, um, I feel like I've, I've done a decent job so far of getting to see ones that have come out so far, um, although I still haven't seen The Invisible Man. Oh, interesting. Um. I have not seen the Aaron Sorkin movie, Trial of the Chicago 7. Mm -hmm. Um, I have not seen Kajillionaire. I think you can rent that one right now on VOD, but it's like $20. So Uh, I'll probably wait for that to go down. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are really the biggest ones that I haven't seen yet. Um, Ones that I'm looking forward to, I think... Uh, top of the list has to probably be Mank, the, mm-hmm. uh, David Fincher movie. Yeah. Which is already getting pretty good reviews. Um, mm-hmm. for the most part, I think.
0: Yeah, I've heard just incredible things. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And I, I've tried to avoid the trailer so far, so I don't, Me too. uh, I can't really speak to how good it'll look or, uh, what i'm looking forward to specifically from it but i just know you know it's a david fincher movie and Mm -hmm. it's about uh the screenwriter for citizen kane Mm -hmm. among other things uh and it's got uh gary oldman so yep i'm on board oh yeah um uh what else um I didn't get a chance to see Minari at uh, Heartland, unfortunately. Um, so, and and as far as I know, I don't think the release date's been announced yet, so Uh, who knows when it'll come out, if it'll come out before the end of the year, or Mm -hmm. sometime before the Oscars next year or what, but uh, I'll I'll, I'll definitely see that whenever it comes out.
0: Me too. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Um... I just did a quick Google search to see if it has, like, a release date. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was bummed I didn't get a chance to see that either. Um, like, I there was a lot of um, talk um, about how Steven Yeun is being positioned for uh, Best Actor nomination with it. Okay. Um, which, this blew my mind. Um, basically, the headline is, Minari star... Uh, steven young could become first asian american best actor nominee Hmm. like that that just that blows my mind that there's never been an asian actor for best actor
1: did Um, you say asian or asian american asian american asian american okay yeah sorry huh um that is interesting yeah um let's see yeah i mean uh he's he's done really incredible work lately mm-hmm. um did you ever see burning a couple years ago
0: i never did but i i've heard just incredible things yeah, yeah. i uh, when it
1: first came out i was kind of lukewarm on it but mm. i've kind of uh i've kind of warmed up to it <laughs> okay <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, he he was fantastic in it. I know that. Nice. Uh, he was in something else. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, um, <laughs> something he was, in between that.
0: But, he was in one sketch on. I think you should leave. Uh um, huh. Was really yeah. good.
1: Can't forget that.
0: Yeah. Um, which to his credit, he did a very good job in that <laughs> sketch. Uh, he was in Octra, which I never saw um yeah oh he was in sorry to bother you but oh yeah yeah yeah. he was he was great in that oh yeah absolutely um yeah so that's cool um also very much looking forward to mank um yeah i've seen the trial of chicago seven it's pretty good um (laughs) how do you feel about aaron sorkin in general uh, I'm
1: on board with him. Yeah, yeah. I, Uh, he directed Molly's Game, right? Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I've heard good things about yeah, it.
0: Yeah, I not great. Saw it in the theater, and it was. I don't. I. <laughs> there was one scene with Idris Elba that was really good, mm-hmm. but other than that, it was just kind of I. I could I didn't really care about anything going on in it. Okay. Um, and Sorkin, he's like... <sighs> when we started the podcast back in 2013, like, Tiny and I were huge fans of Aaron Sorkin. And I think Tiny still is, because he's a huge fan of The West Wing and everything. Yeah. And, like, I saw, like, three seasons of The West Wing. It was good and everything. Also, the uh, kind of reunion thing that they did, the stage reading on HBO Max was really good. Uh-huh. Um, but like the um I kind of feel like there's a there's a dance in my head between like oh Aaron Sorkin is incredible at screenwriting and everything, but also maybe not <laughs> um <laughs> because it, like my the thing that I wrestle with is that he is more concerned with pushing his ideal idealistic views and his his mm-hmm. uh I don't want to say agenda, but like his, his perspective on the surface level. Right. Um, in, in his writing, which I'm not knocking that, like, that's the whole point of art is to share your perspective and, and to tell a story and to have meaning behind it. But he does that first and foremost, and then characters kind of come second. And like, there's, (laughs) there's someone on Twitter, um, does these videos uh or has done videos every time a Sorkin movie comes out that basically takes lines of dialogue from the movie, the new movie that's come out and compiles them alongside, alongside scenes from other Sorkin stuff that uses the exact same <laughs> thing. Like in, uh, in The West Wing, I, I think The West Wing, but definitely in Studio 60 and The Social Network, uh, he has a line where someone says, "Someone says I could, I could buy this and make it, and make it my own personal ping pong room." And it's like it's like literally the exact same <laughs> gag or the exact same joke and everything. Yeah, and like he has maybe upwards of a dozen of those that he goes back and and. You recycles and everything and so anytime i see like a video go viral that shows those like there's there's like a great like like a lot of people um reply to it with a gif of aaron paul in breaking bad uh-huh. uh when he's like screaming like well he can't keep getting away with this <laughs> nice. um, so yeah having said that i love the social network oh yeah um it's incredible but yeah And uh yeah, and the trial of the Shargo seven was pretty good. Okay. Yep.
1: Anything else that you haven't seen yet? That you
0: Yes.
1: You haven't seen the Five Bloods yet, have you? I
0: haven't seen the Five Bloods. I haven't seen First Cow, The Assistant, um Time, also. (laughs) Um And I really want to see Mank and It's funny. We're recording this the day that the embargo for Hillbilly Elegy was was like lifted, Uh and I didn't know anything about it per se, except that it's Ron Howard directing a movie, right, and uh, and that it's based on a book. And uh, apparently, the reviews that came out today, because the the embargo was lifted are just destroying <laughs> destroying it. Yeah. Um well, I, I've they've almost all been bad, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah. Also there's that movie that's coming on Hulu with uh Mackenzie Davis and Kristen Stewart. Yeah. As a couple um as uh, it's a rom com. It is called
1: um Happiest Season.
0: Yes, so I am a suck. <clears throat> I am a sucker for the romantic comedy, so I will be checking that out. I think it's a romantic comedy. Um. Yeah.
1: Oh, also, um, another Netflix movie, uh, called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Oh yeah, which is, I believe, Chadwick Boseman's last, uh, last movie. Role. That's right. So, um. I think it's I think uh Viola Davis is in that one as well. And I think it's about jazz or music around that era. Um and uh yeah, I'll I'll definitely check it out just
0: because of him. Oh absolutely. And I think
1: it's another August Wilson adaptation. So
0: that sounds right. I never saw it was uh Fences mm-hmm. one? I never saw that. Me yeah. neither. Okay. Um, I was going to, but then I kind of had to decide whether or not. So I was just kind of had to kind of sit on the fences um, of it. Yeah. Um, but interesting thing about, uh, Happiest Happiest season. Season. Yes. Uh, directed and co written by Clea Duvall. Okay. Um, who was in the faculty and, uh, a bunch of stuff in the 90s. Um, interesting. And also co-written by Mary Holland, who, um, is a noted guest on Comedy Bang Bang regularly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not so much lately. Yeah, I guess we know why.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway. Um, That's kind of a, a breakdown of some of the stuff that I'm looking forward to and that we're looking forward to. So, yeah. For sure. Yep. Um. So, shall we go into our Ebert's Great Movies list? Part 4, uh, Rear Window and Vertigo. Hitchcock yeah. Night at Heartland Film Festival. Let's do it. 2020. <laughs> Drive-in. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So... Uh, yeah, so this is part four of our ongoing series, exploring the movies of Ebert's great movies list. Um, so I am going to go ahead and bring us into the opening stinger thing that we do. Um, so here is our intro to Ebert's great movies list. No name is more synonymous with film criticism than Roger Ebert's. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and children.
2: People say, do film critics have too much power?
0: Those who can hear me, I say, do
2: not despair. We can help a movie. We can help a movie by sharing our enthusiasm. We can't necessarily hurt a movie that is destined to be a big hit anyway.
0: You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure.
2: And then Roger Ebert gets up. What I
0: find very offensive and condescending about your statement is nobody would say to a bunch of white filmmakers, how could you do this to your people? Okay, so yeah, we're going to go into our Ebert's Great Movies uh, edition here. (laughs) Um, So the kind of the quote attributed to the Ebert's Great Movies um, series of essays from uh, Roger Ebert uh, is, quote, One of the gifts a movie lover can give another is the title of a wonderful film they have not yet discovered. Here are more than 300 reconsiderations and appreciations of movies from the distant past to the recent past. In all of movies that I consider worthy of being called great. So each edition of this uh, series of episodes on the podcast, we do two movies from Ebert's Great Movies list. And this is a special episode because we were able to watch two of them at the Heartland Film Festival. Um, they had Hitchcock Night. And so before we get into like talking about Rear Window and Vertigo... Ben, how did you feel about the experience of Hitchcock Night and watching these movies at the drive in at uh Heartland Film Festival?
1: I had a lot of fun. Um, I think I said on the last episode uh that for whatever reason I couldn't really put my finger on it, but I felt like these two movies were uh were ones that would work really well in a drive in setting, and I think yeah. that that proved to be Pretty true. Mm-hmm. Um the both of these we'll we'll get into, but both of these, the cinematography is just so yeah. great and it's just it it helps to see it on as big of a screen as possible. Mm-hmm. Um uh so we uh I almost forgot about this until now, but the original night was supposed to be at, uh, Connor Prairie. Yeah. And they ended up rescheduling it because of, uh, high winds and they, they just couldn't do it at uh, right. Connor Prairie, which was unfortunate, mm-hmm. uh, cause it would have been a cool venue, but Tibbs was a, a nice experience too. Yeah. We got to huddle around the trunk of my car and, <laughs> yep. uh,
0: and then jump your car. <laughs> yep. Uh yeah, it was it was really it was really cool. Um so it's worth noting, Tibbs Drive In is uh, a drive in theater here in Indianapolis on the west side. Um they are closed during their season, they're closed on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I believe. And uh when Hardland had to cancel Connor Prairie because of the wind, basically the reason why was because they had Like, an actual, like, screen that they were propping up to to screen. Yeah, it was
1: just an inflatable thing on a screen.
0: Yeah. So, they erred on the side of caution. But Tibbs was gracious enough to allow them to, like, they had, like, a special event, like, a private event kind of thing. So, they opened Tibbs on the nights where Tibbs is usually closed so Heartland could, you know, do the... uh, do the Hitchcock night and, and the other uh, Connor Prairie nights there. So that was really nice of Tibbs. And I, it, I think it went off incredibly well. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I looked
1: around at some of the other screens and, uh, I, I mean, I didn't get any official numbers or anything, but mm. it, it, there was a really good turnout for yeah the Hitchcock films, oh, um, yeah. which, you know, is, is great. I mean, mm-hmm. It's it's good. It's even better if people were to go and see these newer, more independent movies. But it's true, good to see true. that people out there still love Hitchcock.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. And this experience for, for me personally was interesting because this was the first time since March 11th. <laughs> so we saw it on <laughs> October 14th october fourteenth from from March eleventh to October fourteenth I had not seen a movie on the big screen mm-hmm. and this was the first time since March eleventh that I was able to see a movie in a theater setting even if it was outdoors and like when Rear Windows started, I had this just almost overwhelming sense of just um I don't know how to describe it. It just felt not relief, but it was like, <laughs> like it was I, just an overwhelming sense of warmth. Yeah. Because um, it's just like I'm getting to do the thing that I love to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's
1: like coming home again.
0: Yes. Um I was going to make a stupid joke. <laughs> <laughs> <I can't laughs> I'm so sorry. It was, re- it was, it was just so warm and, and it, I was filled with such warmth because like I was able, like finally I was able to do the thing that I just, I love to do. And then they started telling me to pull my pants on and everything. So then I had to watch a movie. Oh boy. Um, that's, that's
1: why you haven't been to a theater since March. <laughs> yeah.
0: That was a terrible joke. <laughs> but um...
1: that does remind me, um, oh, God, <laughs> uh, I saw the other day that tenant will be coming to uh Blu-ray, and yes. VOD in December.
0: Yep, I think December 15th, I think. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Which I thought was interesting because, um, like, I mean, it makes sense. And I'm, you know, I'll probably buy it just because. Um, but it, I don't think it's specified if it was going to have a digital release. Because um, usually it, they do d- digital beforehand and then...
1: Yeah, it, it might not have. I might, may just be projecting, you know, because mm. usually <laughs> the... One comes before the other, right? Like
0: yeah, usually digital, and then a couple weeks later, is okay. physical.
1: Right? Yeah, I, I don't know which one is when. Hmm. Just mid December, people yeah. look out for Tenant if you haven't seen it yet.
0: Yeah, so I'm looking forward to finally getting to see that the way it was meant to be seen. Probably on my laptop while I work from home. <sighs> yeah. Um. So, yeah. But, uh, Hitchcock Night, just awesome. I I was so happy to be able to see these movies on the big screen and, uh, getting to see them at a drive-in was really special and cool. Yeah. Um, I had bought, (laughs) which now in retrospect, it's like, this was a dumb purchase anyway, (laughs) but like, I bought like a little tiny handheld radio. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, just. Just to, to like hear it and so I wouldn't have to like use the car battery or anything. Um, but it was kind of garbage and everything. So (laughs) whatever. Um, but, but no, it was nice. It was, it was cool. I I liked it. Okay. Okay. Um, shall we talk about the movies now? Might as well. All right. Yep. So, all right. So, we basically, Hitchcock and I was two Hitchcock movies, Rear Window and Vertigo. Um, we're going to go chronological. So, Rear Window came out in 1954. So, we're going to start there. Um I'll give a quick rundown. Uh Rear Window, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, of course, was released in 1954. And the plot summary, courtesy of Letterboxd, is... Professional photographer L.B. Jeff Jeffries breaks his leg while getting an action shot at an auto race. Confined to his New York apartment, he spends his time looking out of the rear window, observing the neighbors. When he begins to suspect that a man across the courtyard may have murdered his wife, Jeff enlists the help of his high society fashion consultant girlfriend and his visiting nurse to investigate. So Ben, what is your history with with, the rear window? And what's the likelihood that I'm going to be able to say the title of the movie without, like, very, like, aggressively trying not to uh, mess up the uh, rear sound? <laughs>
1: okay. Um, You know, I did not see Rear Window until recently, maybe in the really? last year or so. Um, But I... I mean, Rear Window is such a ubiquitous movie that I had essentially seen it before actually having seen it. If that makes yeah. sense, you know. There's been so many parodies and references to it, and all that. Like I've I've probably seen the Simpsons episode a yes. hundred times, so which is almost spot on, mm-hmm. um,
0: perfect. Yeah. Uh,
1: that yeah, I. Once I finally did watch it, I I uh, loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Rear Window is one of—I I don't have a, an ongoing list of this, but I think if I were to make a list, I think Rear Window would be at or near the top of movies that I wish I could go back in time and see in theaters yeah. when it was first released. You know, because oh, just because like the ending is just so surprising, I guess, mm-hmm. and it, you don't want to just ha- having that uh, seeing that fresh and not being spoiled would be mm-hmm. extra special.
0: Yeah, the use of tension and the way that that reaches that crescendo at the end is just like it's an over used phrase but like it's it's the palpable tension it's just so so good and it's built so well throughout it and what always strikes me about this movie is because i watched it um i've watched it before i've seen it before and i had watched it again within the last like year or two and i was like this movie's incredible (laughs) um and the thing that always stands out to me is that it's just stunning, like visually stunning. That, that whole set, the way that the story is told through, through, uh, Jimmy Stewart's camera lens yeah. as he's seeing his neighbors and everything. And just like the stories that are told throughout the, throughout that is just incredible. And just seeing the, the way that, the story kind of weaves itself in and out through uh, this just kind of bizarre visual technique of being able to see the like see into the windows and the homes of people across the across like I guess I don't not an alley the like a courtyard, courtyard. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, there was a great it's just really quick um like uh, uh, someone. Because of the the four seasons total landscaping uh-huh. debacle, someone said someone there was a um, like a meme or whatever of Rudy Giuliani that or a tweet that said something something like um, laugh all you want, but um, <laughs> it said something like laugh all you want, but Rudy Giuliani is going to take this all the way to the. Uh, to the Sup- <laughs> to the Supreme Court Yard Marriott. <laughs> so uh,
1: That honestly wouldn't surprise me.
0: <laughs> nope. And then there was also a really great uh, meme that showed Ru- uh, Rudy Giuliani in a, uh, like, they photoshopped in uh, behind him a bunch of Ritz crackers and said, <laughs> <laughs> this is Rudy Giuliani at a press conference at the Ritz. Um, good stuff. Uh so. Oh, that's. Rear window. Yeah. Yes, rear window. Um, I was just gonna say, uh, real quick, um, news just broke. It's not really huge news. Oh. But, uh, Johnny Depp obviously exited the Fantastic Beast sequel. Um, and it says Mads Mikkelsen is in early talks to replace him. Hmm. So that's interesting. I might actually watch that now. <laughs> yeah. So. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So, rear window. Um,. If I, if I may make a very dumb, uh, just completely local joke, I think local, I don't know if this is, um, a nationwide thing, but, um, in my head when I, when I hear or, or read Rear Window, I think of it as the, uh, to the tune of the TV jingle for, uh, for B Window. Um, <laughs> which I think is local. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway. rear window. Yeah. I know yeah. what you're talking about. I know the yeah. jingle. Yep. Yeah. Let's be with B window.
1: B
2: window.
0: B window. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So we should
1: see if they'll sponsor this episode. Uh, we should. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Rear Window by the way it stars James Stewart, Grace Kelly and Raymond Burr. Um how did you feel about how how did you feel about the overall plot and uh, the suspense of it? Like the the concept like how how you feel about everything? <laughs> um
1: yeah, I I think that this is a movie that only uh Hitchcock could have made. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if if I remember right, like I after uh, after Hitchcock night, I listened to the unspooled episode mm-hmm. of rear window and they were talking about how someone like remade it in the nineties, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I forget who's in it and it was just a total failure. Uh, I, which I, I haven't seen that one, so I don't know exactly why it was a total failure, mm-hmm. but, um, I mean, Hitchcock, it, that was his bread and butter is just being able to ratchet up suspense in yeah. such such easy ways to understand. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved uh, watching it this time. I really loved uh, how, I believe, the entire movie is just from Jimmy Stewart's perspective like yeah. and granted most most of the action happens in his apartment but like the scene where Grace Kelly goes over to uh Thorwald's apartment excuse me um where she goes over to Thorwald's apartment um most other directors i feel like would have shifted to her perspective yes. and what she was seeing and experiencing. But mm-hmm. instead he keeps it all at Jimmy Stewart and he, you just feel how powerless he is to do anything. Yes. And that, that was a great decision from Hitchcock just to keep it there.
0: Absolutely. Cause yeah, the camera never leaves that apartment mm-hmm. like ever. Um yeah, just perfect, uh, perfect, use of isolation as a as a as a as a a mechanism for mounting tension because and like you said that's hitting the nail right on the head is him being so powerless in the situation yeah um just really really strong filmmaking um yeah i do want to mention twice in this movie there are cats so the opening scene has a cat and there's another scene with a cat, uh, licking a sculpture or something. I don't know,
1: but yeah, but yeah. So to all the listeners, Matt did point that out as at the, uh, drive in.
0: I did. I did. And it was weird cause you just left. It was, it was strange. Um, but yeah, so there, there were kitties. Um, but yeah, how do you feel about, how do you feel about James Stewart in, in general? Um, he's kind of a national treasure, um, and obviously well respected and everything. How do you feel about him as an actor, and how did you feel about him in this movie? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I'm. I don't think there's any movies I I have seen him in where I haven't just loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's you know one of. I don't think this is a hot take or anything, but he's one of the greatest actors of all time. Um, and I think he's really especially perfect in this one as just like this crotchety old man who you know just he's got the whole world at his fingertips and he doesn't really want it like he's got freaking Grace Kelly eating out yeah. of the palm of his hand and he just tries to like he doesn't want to marry her he tries yeah. to uh tell her about like she she wants to go with him on his adventures around mm-hmm. the world and he tries to tell her how how miserable she'll be and she's just you know she still likes him for whatever yeah. reason so i i think this we'll get into this versus vertigo but i think mm-hmm. this is one of his better performances
0: i i agree he plays that and it's interesting cuz the the characters and like you said we'll get into this comparison later but the characters are are interesting i don't know if i'd say parallels to each other but mirrors well yeah opposites in a sense like he is jeff in in rear window is a commitment a commitment phobe and he he isn't willing to commit to like leaving behind a bachelor life or or what have you um it's it's really interesting um and I, I really appreciate the drama of that. And I think that he, with any, with any like big, larger than life actors, um, there's a tendency to just, um, kind of boil them down to almost a parody of themselves or a pair like a, uh, an impression of them. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, you hear like. You hear like, uh, like Sean Connery, who just passed away. Like you know, instinctively people like do the Sean Connery voice. Um, do you want to give us some of that now, <laughs> Sean Connery or Jimmy Stewart? Uh, you pick. <laughs> uh, I'll okay. I'll do Jimmy Stewart, but let me preface it by saying that I'm going. Hey, Kitty. Um, let me preface it by saying that I'm going to be mimicking a bit from a very early episode of Comedy Bang Bang, in which Scott Ackerman. Did a character, like a version of Jimmy Stewart that's, um, it's, it's, uh, indignant Jimmy Stewart or, <laughs> uh, or something. Let me, let me look it up.
1: This is Matt stalling. Cause he doesn't want to do the impression. Uh,
0: I, I do, but I just want to make sure that I have the right, cause it's on, uh, dismissive Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> So this is my version of Scott Ackerman's version of dismissive Jimmy Stewart. Um, hang on. Uh, okay, to to set it up the the way that he does it in, in in the clip you you'll have to you'll have to say something to me. Just start talking to me about just anything. Okay. okay. Uh, so there's uh. Why do you shut an... <laughs> up? <laughs> I can't, that's all I'm gonna do. I can't do the rest. Wow! But it's it's it goes on. He's he's like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna put you in my in my crawl space. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! I'll put a clip in the show. <laughs> I I feel like you're not. Shut listening. You're not. You got to Shut up! I respect you very much as an actor, but I I just feel like you're not letting me... I'm going to
2: fucking kill you and put you in my crawl space. You
0: have a crawl space?
2: I have a crawl space in my
1: my basement that I I need people to to dig for me, and then I put people into it. That sound you hear is all the Patreon supporters just ratcheting up. Yep. Yep. All that Patreon money just rolling in.
0: <laughs> rolling in or flying out as quickly as possible. <laughs> I am confiscating your phone, by the way, so that you can't, um, take, uh, take your donation away. Um, so yeah, but anyway, so my whole point was that Jimmy Stewart is a, is a, is an icon who I feel like can be boiled down to just like, jimmy stewart isms like 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 right. um it's a wonderful life like oh thanks emporium or I'm right. Emporium like it i don't know it kind of becomes the uh, his persona that he's known for kind of overshadows people's remembrances of his character and everything and i think that he does a really good job of differentiating the jimmy stewart brand if you will mm-hmm. with the Jeff Jeffrey's character and there's some nuance there that I really appreciated
1: I feel like what you're getting at is kind of like how I feel about John Wayne and oh, his yeah. his characters and his performances and how similar uh, maybe this isn't like what you're trying to say mm-hmm. but just how it's hard to differentiate his real life persona from the characters that he plays almost to the point of where it's hard to tell from one movie to the next who mm. he is.
0: Yeah. And, and to be frank, I haven't seen a lot of John Wayne movies, mm-hmm. but I do know that I, like, I, I agree with you or, or in other words, um, <laughs> I think you're, I think you're right. Pilgrim. <laughs> um, that was terrible. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I think he did a great job and the suspense, cause so much of the suspense is kind of on his shoulders. Cause like we said, it's all from the perspective of his, of his room and his, um, his view of from the rear window. Yeah. And it's like, he has to sell that danger. He has to sell that um, anxiety and fear and he does that incredibly well. Like, that's why you have Jimmy Stewart playing the role. Yeah. Because he's he's fantastic at that.
1: It's kind of weird how, and I guess I it's been a little while since I've seen these, mm-hmm. but I was kind of struck when I was watching this how much older he looks in this compared yeah. to Vertigo. Which is even weirder because this one came out first, right? You know.
0: Yeah, that's a good point,
1: huh? And maybe some of that was makeup. I I don't mm-hmm. know, but he just feels like he's just so much older in this.
0: Yeah, he really so, does.
1: And maybe part of that is because of the age difference between him and Grace Kelly. Uh, yeah, that that kind of goes untouched on. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it was a different time, but yeah. Um, he was, let's see. Grease Kelly was born in 1929. Okay. Jimmy Stewart was born in. Uh, undetermined. It's not, oh. it doesn't say on, uh, really? letter boxed. Oh. Huh. He was eternal. We'll yes. just say that. He <laughs> was always here and he always will be here.
0: Yes. Some say he's still looking at that rear window. <laughs> um, <laughs> that rear window in the sky. Yep, uh, he was born in 1908, so he was 21 okay. years older. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of wonder if some of that is also um, kind of due to uh, le- to your point, like maybe there's some some makeup that's done to convey not necessarily that he's that he's older or younger or anything like that, but more to convey, um, and this is pure conjecture on my part, convey the lifestyle that he has. Cause he is an action photographer. Right. Um, so maybe there's an element to the makeup effects to convey that he's, you know, uh, been in some trying conflicts. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Raymond Burr, Sir um uh you saw I assume you haven't still haven't seen Hamilton cuz Disney and nope. okay um yeah that was a reference to Hamilton I will be okay. getting uh, regrettably I'll have to get <laughs> Disney plus though
1: because Soul comes out uh oh. oh yeah early December I think yeah huh yeah going wow. straight there so yeah I'll know what you're talking about soon enough mhm
0: uh well, yeah. Well, I hope that you enjoy it when you're in the room where it happens. Um, I know that reference. Yeah. Anyway, so... Raven Burr. Yeah. So, Raven Burr. Um, he does this... I feel like the, one of the challenging things about the movie and the storytelling and something that Hitchcock does, like, you wouldn't think that it was challenging for him, but when you kind of deconstruct it and think about it, it is, it must've been an incredible challenge to convey both this isolation and this uh, seclusion for, for Jeff while also like walking that tight rope of making Raymond Burr either suspicious and mal- malicious, but also uh, conveying that in a way that, Still lets you, uh, still lets you cast doubt on whether or not he actually is, you know, a murderer or yeah. anything. And like, that is such a, a, a big thing to, to tackle in a movie. And I think that, I mean, the reason why Rear Window endures for, for this long is that it is done perfectly. It is yeah. very, um, impressive the way that it, um, the way that it handles that that tension and confusion and, and the mystery of it. And I would say, again, it's kind of interesting that these two movies kind of parallel each other in interesting ways. Cause Vertigo kind of has a similar, like a similar dance with, with mystery and, and almost a noirish story. Um, I would say that rear window handles its mystery, uh, quite a bit better than Vertigo but I'm maybe splitting hairs of two masterpieces, essentially. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah. Well,
1: we can talk about this a little mm-hmm. bit more, but I feel like uh, Rear Window is more of a mystery than Vertigo. Yeah. Know? Vertigo is... Uh, the The joy of Vertigo isn't so much in, like, putting this puzzle together. Mm-hmm. It's just seeing this journey that, these people are going on but yeah, yeah. we'll yep. t- we'll talk a little bit more about that i'm sure
0: right so anything
1: else about rear window <laughs> um, uh you know really the one complaint that i have with it mm-hmm. is just and this is a little bit less extent with uh vertigo but the ending is just Super abrupt. I, agree completely. I had completely. I had forgotten about that until I rewatched it this time. Yeah. Just like the ending is just like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jimmy Stewart falls out the mm-hmm. window, and then like a minute later, they're like, the cops are like, "Hey, he confessed. He did it. Yeah. It's all over. We got him." It's like it's <laughs> end like, of movie.
0: Absolutely, and like it's like the denouement of the movie is like is. 30 seconds at most yeah. it's, it's very brief. Um, and yeah, kind of a similar thing with vertigo also. Right. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. However, I will say that the build up toward that, like the actual like culmination of the suspense and the tension and everything and the danger, uh, was really like just satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was, that was just, just perfect. Um, and the Hitchcock cameo is, I believe, at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Um. I didn't. I. Uh, yeah. I don't know where it is in Vertigo though. So yeah. I. I
1: always forget about that. Yeah. Uh, until after. I like when I'm reading, like on Letterbox. Mm-hmm. I always miss. I always forget about it.
0: Yeah. Whenever I see. Um, a Hitchcock movie. I always mean to go back and, and check, but, yeah. hmm Yep. Um, so, yeah, so I, that's Rear Window. Um, yeah. Uh, good movie. Great movie. Um, great movie, movie, in fact. Yes. So, uh, would you put it on a great movies list that you would compile? Yes. Nice. And so, would Would you <laughs> well, say it's a... Go ahead. Thumbs up, which is what I should have asked first.
1: <laughs> yes, thumbs yes. up. Same um, here. This is probably something we'll get to, but I mean, this is just the start of the Hitchcock movies on this list. Right. Um, I, I don't know for sure exactly how many are on here, but there's, you know, there's Psycho, there's mm-hmm. Strangers on a Train. Yes. Uh, Notorious North by Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe one other one, at least. But, I mean, Eber was a, a big fan of uh, Hitchcock, so yeah. this is just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, so, yeah. I don't know. I this These two and Psycho, I think, are the only ones on this, and North by Northwest, are the only ones on this list that I've seen. So, I don't know in the grand scheme of things where Rear Window will ultimately end up, but... I mean, yeah, as of right now, it's 100% on the list.
0: Absolutely. And I, I, I actually don't know that North by Northwest is on the list. I think it is. Because um, from my notes, I've got Shadow of a Doubt, Psycho, Notorious, uh, Strangers on a Train, Rear Window, and Vertigo. Um, okay. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Uh,
1: I am very slowly looking it up on Letterboxd. <laughs> no, I guess it's not. That's hmm. a Hitchcock-like twist, uh, plot twist. How about that? I agree. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I guess I've only seen these two and Psycho. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, same here. I've never seen... Uh, notorious or Shadow of a Doubt. Yes. Um, big Hitchcock fan though. I yeah. Man, like I had uh pitched to Tiny like so. Uh, I pitched to Tiny this idea that he and I would do similar to what we're doing with uh the Ebert list. He and I would do a Hitchcock kind of retrospective at our leisure and like i had it mapped out (laughs) to where we would do like if if he and i did that then the ebert's great movies list movies we would have you on for that series and do a crossover thing okay um but then heartland kind of blew a hole in that yeah (laughs) so maybe eventually tiny and i will do that series but we'll we'll see okay um but i'm just a huge hitchcock fan um I've always wanted to see Life uh, <clears throat> Lifeboat. Um it's one of one of my blind spots for for Hitchcock. Okay. And specifically because the I think it's season 4 premiere episode of Wings, <laughs> the 90s sitcom set in an airport on Nantucket, <laughs> uh is called Lifeboat and it's after a plane crash and they're on a lifeboat and everything. Um So I've always wanted to see a lifeboat just because of that. Okay. Um, So, yeah. Okay. So shall we move on to Vertigo? Yes. All right. After I go to the bathroom. Yes.
2: (laughs) This movie goes through some pretty predictable paces about their forbidden love, but I was never really very interested in the characters in Blade Runner. I didn't find it convincing. Instead, what impressed me in this film...
0: For the special effects, the wonderful use of optical trickery to show me a gigantic imaginary Los Angeles, which in the vision of this movie has been turned into sort of a futuristic this is
1: a
2: Tokyo. Great performance and Fargo is the best movie the Forn Brothers have ever made. A quirky
0: all right, so we're going to go ahead and go into Vertigo, our next review on this episode. Uh, Vertigo, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, was released in 1958, and the plot summary is a retired San Francisco detective suffering from acrophobia investigates the strange activities of an old friend's wife, all the while becoming dangerously obsessed with her. Uh, this movie stars Jamie Stewart once again as... A character by the name of John Scotty Ferguson, Kim Novak as uh, Madeline Elster and Judy Parton, uh Barbara Bell Geddes, and some other people so uh yeah so so Ben what's your history with vertigo i I don't have much history with this movie except that back in like 20 or 2006 it was like the only like suspense or borderline like the the only suspenseful movie i had in my collection when i was at usi Mm -hmm. um and it was halloween weekend and i decided to watch it um because i hadn't i i think i had blind bought it in a box set and uh I watched it and it wasn't really horror but that's was really my only experience with it up until this <laughs> uh this thing. So how what, what's your experience with Vertigo?
1: Yeah, I uh I had only seen it once uh before the drive-in and I remember um liking it the first time mm-hmm. and then uh constantly seeing it to, referred to as like one of the greatest movies of all time. Right. And, and every time I saw that, I was like, yeah, okay. I, I remember liking it, but I don't know if I would call it one of the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just watching it again, I, I was just like, yeah, I can, I can absolutely see why this is considered one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. Uh, this, there's just so much going on here and it's so complex and it's just Hitchcock just at his best, just mm-hmm. doing what he does best. And, uh, it, it's fantastic
0: I on, I on a lot of levels. Yes, I, I agree. And I, so I, to be honest, I kind of struggled with it. Um, I, I mean, I like, it was a double feature at the drive-in. Like I was exhausted yeah. by the time. Uh, so like. Uh, I didn't pay as close enough attention to it. And then I revisited it today, actually. Um, but I had like tried to revisit it and it was just like the timing wasn't right, uh, for like just my attention and everything, but rewatching it today, um, I can definitely see the appeal and the just abject beauty of the movie. Like, yeah, this is something I wasn't expecting when, like, at the drive-in or upon re- re-watching it, um, I wasn't expecting the surreal quality of it. Like, there's a sequence where, um, Scotty is, ha- like, it's a dream sequence that goes into, like, this animated realm. And it's just so out there and bizarre and surreal. Like, I kind of wonder, like, it reminds me, <sighs> I, this is just, this is a lame connection to draw. Cause I'm sure that it didn't influence him or anything, but it reminded me of like 11 years after this movie came out when Kubrick made 2001 and the uh Jupiter and the beyond the infinite sequence uh-huh. um, just that kind of psychedelic, surreal kind of visual thing. Um And like the movie is as a whole is just again, same, same with rear window, just, Strikingly gorgeous. Yes. Um, like there are sets where, like the the restaurant, where it's like the the walls are like a deep red and mm-hmm. like a floral kind of like print on them. And then not only that, but like the the patrons of the restaurant, and in particular, um, uh, Kim Novak's character. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Kim Novak's character is like she's in like this dark green that like it's it's not necessarily in contrast to the backdrop but it's like it's the same kind of like hue i would say i guess i don't i i I think Um, right and it just it's just it is just remarkably beautiful yeah Um, yeah
1: yeah absolutely the cinematography is just incredible here Mm -hmm. um the one of my favorite scenes is, uh, when they go to, I don't know if it's the Sequoia National Forest or the Redwood Forest yes. or whatever forest that is, just that entire scene is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the light and the shadows that he uses and the colors. Yes. It's, it's really great. And, um, if you go on the Eber website, there, uh, I don't think it was Ebert himself that did it, but someone I think maybe after he died mm-hmm. or somewhere uh they do a really intensive in depth breakdown of the use of colors in this, and
0: oh nice
1: one that you'll that'll really stand out to you is the color green and just how that's used and there isn't really as far as I can tell, there isn't really a a huge significance to the color green it's just Mm -hmm. it's just used so much and it it's a visual kind of a a visual cue uh mostly like to to remind you of uh kim novak's character and Mm uh yeah i mean there's there's the incredible uh sequence that's Near the end, uh, where they Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak are in the her hotel or her apartment or whatever that is, and yeah. there's the green neon sign outside, mm-hmm. and just the way that that's lit is just fantastic. Yes. I I really enjoyed that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just strikingly gorgeous uh, cinematography. Yes, and also the the camera techniques where. To, to express the sense of vertigo that he has. Yeah. Um as someone who is afflicted with acrophobia myself, um, I appreciated that. <laughs> but the the way that it does that zoom technique that yeah. just looks like the looks like the floor is falling out. Um like that is an exact representation of the feeling in my gut I get when I'm like when I look over a railing and look down at some like at at a certain height. Yeah. Um it's just it's so whew, uh jarring. And yeah. uh it's represented really well in the movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um so we talked a little bit we hinted at um the characters kind of being uh not mirrors, but um being kind of somewhat similar to an extent. So, or opposites, I guess. So Jimmy Stewart in rear window was a, was afraid of commitment and wouldn't commit to grace Kelly in vertigo. He becomes obsessed with a woman that he's fallen in love with and lost. Yeah. And does not want to let that feeling go or let that, connection go um i just thought that was really interesting how do you think that how do you think he was as in the role
1: yeah he's fantastic Mm -hmm. um he's able to you know on paper this guy's a monster (laughs) really uh but he he's able to portray him so that he's kind of uh, i'll i'll talk about this a little bit later but like uh, there's one reading of this movie where you can be totally on his side mm-hmm. and think that he has been wronged um and you understand that yeah so but at the same time there's another reading where uh you think he's crazy and a sociopath right um yeah
0: yeah the um the the kind of clothing scene like dressing her up yeah. it was just uh, kind of alarming. Right, <laughs> um, right. And uh, disturbing in a way that I wasn't really expecting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: and I think part of the reason why this movie is so well regarded mm-hmm. and why I really enjoyed it this time, um, I think there are, there's just so many different ways that you can see this movie, Mm -hmm. you know, and each time I feel like you can see it from a new perspective. Like you can see it the first time from Jimmy Stewart's perspective. And we talked about that, Mm -hmm. or you can see it from Kim Novak's perspective and how she's this woman who, uh, was just trying to, do something for this married guy who she was having an affair with Mm -hmm. who eventually just kind of tossed her to the curb and then she tried to find love with someone else and then ultimately, you know, we know what happened. Um, And then I hadn't really thought about this until after I watched it and I read one of Ebert's reviews Mm -hmm. and he talked about how... Um Jimmy Stewart's character is kind of the Hitchcock in real life stand-in oh, and yeah. how how Hitchcock was kind of famous for like his Having vertigo. His <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and his uh his fear of heights and yeah. Yeah. Um loving San Francisco and being right. a man about town and yeah. all that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, his, his kind of controlling nature around his actresses and how, uh, so Jimmy Stewart was just kind of like a stand in for that Mm -hmm. and just reading that and seeing it from that perspective just added a whole new, whole new depth for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's all, it's all just about how, this guy just wants this woman to be perfect, but he can't do it. Yeah. And he, she's just, just, just out of reach for him. Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah. Yeah. That's, wow. That's, that's an interesting connection to draw with, with Hitchcock and Jimmy Stewart. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Plus, I mean, there, there's, you could, uh, see it, uh, again and just, just, kind of see it as from a technical standpoint and like mm. we said it's a beautiful movie
0: yeah oh yeah the abruptness of the ending <laughs> um it, that was kind of a like it has it is one of the great movie endings yeah it's in that conversation but what i don't like is that that's the ending of the movie like it's just it's way too. I feel like there should have been like something more afterwards, like a denouement for the movie. Okay. Um, and do they set up the nun? Like, do they establish the nun as, or is, does she just pop up out of nowhere? Uh, I th- I can't remember. I,
1: I I mean, you just watched it today. I know, so. which is
0: a very very <laughs> poorly reflecting on me. Um,
1: but to my recollection, no. I don't. I don't think she shows up. Mm-hmm. Before the, you know, before Kim Novak sees her. And yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't think you see her before that. Yeah. No.
0: But yeah, in either way, it's just, it's a really abrupt ending. I, I love the ironic twist of it. Like yeah. the, I, like in terms of just sheer storytelling, I think that it's brilliant. Yeah. Um. And it, and it provides a, a really just kind of brilliant bookends to the movie um but it just i feel like that it, it could have used maybe a little bit more
1: you know i i don't know because yes i i do agree it is very abrupt mm-hmm. and watching yeah. it at uh Tibbs i was kind of struck by like oh it's over now <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but I I don't know, like, what more I would need. Like, do I need to see uh, Jimmy Stewart's character, like, the aftermath of that? I don't know. Yeah. Because um, he's, I mean, it would be different, but he's kind of experienced almost that exact same thing mm-hmm. already in the first half of the movie. Right. You know?
0: Yeah, that's true. And I
1: think it's been a while since I listened to it, but uh, I went back and I listened to the Unspooled episode for mm-hmm. this one as well. And I think they mentioned there was the original script. There was a scene after that. Okay. Um, but I think Hitchcock kind of cut it out because uh, it, it didn't need a Sure. I don't know. Hmm, yeah.
0: It's interesting. This movie was a critical and commercial failure. Yeah. In 1950. Yeah,
1: that's another thing they talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think if I remember I right, I don't think
0: Hitchcock really liked this one himself. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's uh that's a bummer cuz I feel like it's well, I don't know if I'd necessarily say it's a bummer because I mean, I feel like this movie gets the respect that it deserves and it earned. Um, But it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It didn't really uh,
1: climb the ranks, I guess of like in the, in the public until I want to say like after he died. Oh really? And people were able to revisit it. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh oh! Wow, interesting. I'm just scanning the uh trivia. The only one of Alfred Hitchcock's movies in which the killer is not punished. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hmm. Uh, yeah. I
1: mean, to some extent, you could say that about Rear Window too,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. An ending in which Scotty and Midge hear news over the radio of Gavin Elster being caught, sought by the police was filmed at the demands of the American Production Code Administration, but ended up not being used. That's yep. interesting. Okay. Yep. Hmm. And Hitchcock's cameo is at 11 minutes, wearing a gray suit, walking past Gavin's shipyard. Hmm. Um,
1: yeah. Hmm. Okay.
0: Yep. So, um... Yeah, I mean it's good. I I, I like Rear Window more. Okay, um, I, I think I just I just I just honed more into that story and uh, the storytelling of it. Um, as kind of with Vertigo, it's kind of almost fantastical. Like the like the kind of conceit of the movie is that it's setting up this mystery or this. This scenario that seems just short of um, fantastical in it and it's and it's set up and everything, mm-hmm. or confusing it at the very least. And then it's working th- as it works through it, we get more information and everything. But that the kind of clarity of that that's cleared up pretty early in the grand scheme of things. And then the rest of the movie is him. Working, like, like, working through his feelings and, and working through his obsession with Kim Novak's character. Um, and I think that that, when, when taken, when taking that and putting it up against Rear Window, which I feel is a very tightly plotted and brilliantly told story, mm-hmm. I just, I just really, really appreciate, uh, Rear Window more. However, I do appreciate Vertigo for having that surreal kind of, uh, tone to it throughout it, so yeah. okay, yeah How do you think they compare? I think that
1: I would say Vertigo. I like Vertigo better. Oh, nice. Um, just because of, like I said, the the rewatchability of it, mm-hmm. and just you there. I, I I agree. There is definitely some surreal elements to it, um, and. I don't think I don't think there's really any other Hitchcock movie that I can think of off the top of my head that uh, that really do that or that could do that. You know, yeah. Huh. it's it's all just so internal, really. Right. You know.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Um, if there is a Hitchcock movie that that can do that, I I haven't come across it. Right. Um, so I'm taking it. that That's a thumbs up for me. Yes. All right. Thumbs up for me too. And would it make your great movies list? Yes. Okay. Um, is there in the entire filmography of Alfred Hitchcock, um, that you've seen, mm-hmm. is there a movie that you would put, if you could only put one Hitchcock movie and on, on your great movies list, and you were like, uh, and they were like, oh, but it can't be vertigo or, or what, mm. what would you, what would you put on there? Um, a
1: movie that is not already on the list.
0: Um, it can be. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, you know, for the longest time I would say that, and I might still say this, that Psycho is probably my favorite Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, Although i I don't know there's just something about vertigo that I love, nice. um so probably psycho, yeah, how about you
0: um definitely psycho mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah, definitely psycho. I went through a a stretch this year because of Covid and everything where I watched like. I sp- like over the course of a week I watched maybe 5 Hitchcock movies. Mhm. Um and yeah, Psycho is just I mean it's on my like not that they are not that it's not that it has any real bearing or anything, but it's like number something. Like it's it's pretty high up on my top 25 favorite movies of all time list. Yeah. Um so I yeah, I mean without question Psycho. Okay. Um yeah 1. there's one
1: i don't know if you've seen this one but the 39 steps i i haven't seen
0: it but i'm i'm uh, eager to
1: that one's very good nice. i don't know if it still is but i know at one point it was on amazon prime yeah so uh very good one nice. uh check that one out if you if
0: people out there like it yeah um and psycho is number eight on my top 25
1: okay i all allow it Nice. Thank um you. there are a bunch of uh Hitchcock movies available on streaming. So yeah. uh people out there, if mm-hmm. you haven't heard of the guy, right. you've uh <laughs> you've got plenty of ways to check him out.
0: Yeah. And I, I noticed that Amazon Prime has a lot of like his old like British movies yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um yeah,
1: yeah. So I think they're mostly on Amazon Prime or HBO Max. So. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. And Criterion Channel. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, so to kind of kind of wind us down a little bit, but kind of on a related topic, um have you seen Rebecca the movie? Um either the original or the new one?
1: No, I uh I tried to get a screener for it and never heard back from yeah. the Netflix people. Um and <laughs> after that I have mostly seen negative reviews of yeah. the new ones. And uh you know never saw the the original one. So mm. but from what I've heard neither one of them are as good as the book that it's based on. That's what
0: I've heard too. Like even cuz um <laughs> I bought the Blu-ray, the Criterion Blu-ray at Barnes and or er, Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble, right? Yes. That's when the name they had of the sale. Bookstore. Yeah. Um, when they had the sale, um, I, I bought it and like the guy that rang me up was like, Oh, yeah. Have you seen, have you seen this yet? And I was like, Nope. Uh, I'm just kind of going through a, a Hitchcock kick. Um, and he's like, Oh, it's really great. But I, like, my wife is a huge fan of the book though, and it's apparently really good. Mm-hmm. So shout out to the guy that worked at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, that'll do it for this edition of the Ebert's Great Movies List, uh, series on Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Um, we have already selected for next time the movies. It was in the last episode that we did of this series. So next time we do this, we will be covering Jifk, um, and Mulholland Drive.
1: Mulhollander
0: nice nice <laughs> oh that is, damn it
1: <laughs> uh unless you want to change it
0: oh uh, have you
1: considered that at all or
0: i didn't even
1: think about changing it okay but you don't have to
0: yeah because i think i want to stick with jfk okay you, did you want to change yours
1: i do but i don't so okay. I, i'll stick with it okay
0: cool all right, well, that is your guys' assignment to watch these movies, and we will watch them too. So, JFK is available on HBO Max, but only for this month. I think it leaves yeah. in December. Mulholland Drive is a little bit harder to find, I think.
1: You can rent it digitally. You mm. can't buy it digitally, yeah. but you can rent it.
0: That's weird.
2: I know.
1: Um, and any Blu-ray or DVD copies don't have a digital copy at all. Ugh.
0: That is too bad. Uh, but yeah, it is available to rent on Redbox, Apple TV, Google Play and everything. They kind of um across all platforms it's interesting. The uh the price to rent it across everything is three ninety nine. Um but Redbox has it for one ninety nine, so hmm. yeah. So yeah, so that's what we will be covering next time. It'll probably be, I think that episode will, should we shoot for early December, the first week of December sure. or something? Yeah. So we'll play it by ear and we'll see, <laughs> but yeah, that's what we're going to do next time. And, uh, Ben, do you want to, um, take this time to talk about, uh, your happy Valley series? Oh yeah, yeah. sure. Um,
1: Yeah, every Tuesday at uh, Midwest Film Journal, um, I'm going chronologically through the uh, films of the Happy Madison Production Company. Um, uh, just today the, uh, the Adam Sandler Longest Yard, uh, version came out, um, Next week, uh, there's, there's some pretty, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, interesting entries coming up. Um, let's see. Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo, I think is next week. Um, Grandma's Boy, uh, Click.
0: I I am so weirdly excited to hear your thoughts or or read your (laughs) thoughts on Grandma's Boy. Um... Yeah, right, as you should be. Curious. Yes.
1: <laughs> um yeah, and uh let's see. Uh so grandma's boy click uh the 911 movie Rain Over Me. Oh yeah. Um yeah, just some uh fascinating movies to nice. talk about coming up.
0: Nice. Well, I'm looking forward And it to only gets it? better from there. Right. <laughs> Whew. Well, best of luck to you on that. And it's, uh, great stuff. So, yeah, check that out over at MidwestFilmJournal, uh, dot com. I'll put links in the show notes and everything. And, uh, I think that'll about do it. Yes. So that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Once again, you can become patrons at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer where you can pledge one dollar, one dollar, two dollar, five dollar, or ten dollars. Uh, per month. Uh, $1 and $2 gets you access to a uh, RSS feed recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. $5 gets you access to commentary tracks. I'm going to be trying to get pumped out at least once a month, hopefully. Um, and then $10 gets you access to early access of full episodes and everything. Um, basically, as I finish editing them, I'll throw them on the Patreon feed and then schedule them for the main feed. So, um, yeah, check that out, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And, uh, yeah, and also look out for a bonus episode that's going to be dropping in a couple of days here, a special uh a special episode on friday which happens to be november 13th which happens to also be mike white's birthday so Mm -hmm. um those are the clues that i'm going to give you for what the bonus episode entails (laughs) uh so check that out uh when it comes out so yeah having said all that uh thank you guys so much for listening ben any last words for this episode Thank you. Yes, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com/obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. But it's a Chuck Laurie show. Um, at least he's producing it. Uh, it's just a, you know, standard multicam sitcom. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's got Thomas Middleditch. It's called Be Positive. Yeah. uh Okay. Have you watched it?
1: No, but I, uh, he was on Comedy Bang Bang like Mm -hmm. a week or two ago and was talking about it and I saw a commercial or two for it during the Colts game the other day. Okay. So.
0: Yeah. Um, so I watched the first episode. (laughs) I didn't like it. It's pretty terrible, honestly. <laughs> like, on one hand, it's I have a weird affinity for, um, like multicam sitcoms with laugh tracks. Like, it kind of harkens back to like classic era sitcoms and everything. Like, I I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that type of TV show. But when you have just the hackiest writing <laughs> yeah and the most just lifeless setup mm-hmm. um and chemistry like i love thomas Ditch so much oh yeah but man that is it it's the first episode did nothing for me and the thing that kind of it almost made me feel i don't know if i'd say uncomfortable but it was like it it was weird cuz the the entire the premise is that this man finds out that he has kidney failure and he needs someone to uh, donate a kidney to him and he bumps into it at a wedding. He, he meets or reconnects with someone he knew in high school who she's like a complete train wreck, like like a partier and everything and very free spirited and everything. So you have this. Again, super hacky setup of, like, oh, the kind of straight-laced, um, serious guy paired up with the eccentric, free-spirit, kind of ditzy, but yeah. cute and fun kind of uh, character. It's like, I mean, I'm like, this is 2020. Like, this is <laughs> stuff that was done to death, at this point, multiple decades ago. Right. <laughs> like, it's, it's just not... It's boring and dumb.
2: The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash OV Archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny and follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike white. That's me at R a fecus and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do and all it costs is a little bit of your time. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our TeePublic store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at TeePublic.com. tee For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out ShocktoberinIrvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to ObsessiveViewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at AnthologyPod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. The theme music for the obsessive viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com slash As Gets Band. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: Kitty! Let's be B window B-Window.